Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Phenomenal. See, this is the difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? I got it. Tell them. 
Hey, folks, today is Monday, April 18, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network, broadcasting from Fisk University. The Environmental Protection Agency has launched several civil rights investigations over air pollution in Louisiana's Cancer Alley. Uh, that's between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, where a quarter of the nation's petrochemical production takes place. We'll talk with the president of the Concerned Citizens of St. John Parish about uh, these investigations. Also, the fight for Mason, Tennessee continues. That is the uh, largely black city taking over their finances by the state comptroller. For now, the controller says he will hold, he will continue to hold the purse strings in Mason, Tennessee. Also in Tennessee, the state Senate gets final approval to a black history bill requiring state public schools to integrate black history and culture into the social studies curriculum for grades five through eight. All it needs is the governor's signature. Also, a white Nashville councilwoman, well, she's kind of being called a racist for describing white people as white. Also, Florida State Board of Education rejects more than 40% of textbook submissions for math claiming they contain critical race theory. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, also, folks, a former Super Bowl champion, Marshawn Lynch, is taking up hockey as a minority owner. Plus, in our Fit Live Win segment, we'll talk about fibroids. We'll meet one woman who turned her own medical story into an awareness mission called the White Dress Project. Folks, it is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, live from Fisk University in Nashville. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. All right, folks, glad to be with you from Fisk University here in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Folks, so let's talk about Cancer Alley in Louisiana. It is an area uh, that has been talked about for quite some time because of the high concentration of cancer cases uh, coming out of this particular uh, area. It is a quarter along the Mississippi River between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Uh, more than 150 industrial facilities that produce a quarter of the nation's petrochemicals. Now, folks, uh, this here is a look at... Uh, all the petrochemicals produced in the area, an area that primarily houses African-Americans. The Environmental Protection Agency, they are now investigating this area. Louisiana state agencies determined, also deter investigating the, the, the Louisiana agencies, to determine if the permits these companies uh, were granted in the highly polluted industrial quarter violated the civil rights of African-Americans. Joining us right now is Robert Taylor. He is the president for the Concerned Citizens of St. John Parish, joining me from Reserve, Louisiana. Glad to have you with us, Robert. Uh, lay out for us exactly uh, how significant this problem is in Cancer Alley. Uh, thank you for having me, Roland. Uh, it'll be, it's almost difficult to uh, put it in words, Roland. Um, I live in a, in a community that's adjacent to a plant. Well, not adjacent. The plant was dumped on us 
back in the early 60s without us having any input into it. They violated all the rules and regulations in permitting these kind of plants. And when they chose this community, uh, uh, we have an elementary school with 500 black children uh, 1,500 feet from the fence line of this horrible chem uh, chemical emitting plant. And uh, as a result of the last 50 years of that plant's uh, assault on, on the poor people of that community, especially in Census Tract 708, but the entire parish of 45,000 people, uh, the, the results have been terrible. We see it in the cancer rates and the respiratory diseases and other illnesses. Uh, we saw it in, in, in uh, the pandemic that came along, where as a result of our compromised immune system, as a result of decades of this, we had the highest death rate in the United States, St. John the Baptist Parish. Uh, the onslaught of these chemical plants has been relentless, and they totally ignore the pleas of the people that's living there. Them, uh, uh, as well as the governing authorities. I mean, the state and local governments have to be held accountable for the slaughter that's taking place under their rule. Well, what, what is uh, Louisiana Governor John Bill Edwards saying? Um, any, any response or any comment from him? Uh, what is the state investigation? No comment from the governor. We, we have two marches uh, to the state house, and the governor refused to even acknowledge us. Uh, the local government... Uh, they're wringing their hands and, and complaining and saying that they are helpless in the face of the, of the chemical industry, the petrochemical industry. The agency, the state agency that is charged with protecting us, the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality, when we raised these issues and they had to come to uh, our parish to deal with it. The secretary, Mr. Charles Carl Brown, when he stood before our council and the parish in front of the cameras and the 40,000 black people, not all black, 60%, uh, that's looking at him, but especially those poor people right under that plant that's being slaughtered. He, the first thing came out of his mouth, he uh, attacked me and the organization and the people. He accused me of being a fearmonger, troublemaker, or whatever, and he accused our organization as a result of us disseminating information that came from his organization. He accused us of uh, disseminating false information and that we were doing harm uh, to the community and to this chemical plant. His job, I thought, was to protect us from the chemical plant. He came to tell our people how great a company DuPont Danker was and how terrible we people were who were disseminating false information and fear-mongering. 
when we learned that our children at Fifth Ward Elementary were under his rule was being exposed to 400 times the limit set by, by EPA of that poison coming from DuPont Danka, he came and he attacked us. He has not to this day done anything. As a matter of fact, it is 20% higher today than it was two years ago. They have not only not reduced the assault on our poor people and innocent children. Under Mr. Chuck Carl Brown and the governor of the state of Louisiana, the assault on those poor children has increased. DuPont Danker has shown us what they think of us and our children. We were fighting because of the amount that was being emitted. It has now increased 20% in front of God and everybody. What has been, uh, how have you worked, how are you working with civil rights organizations? I know Reverend Dr. William Barber for the Poor People's Campaign has been down there. Uh, what about the NAACP? What about National Action Network? What about National Urban League? Uh, have you uh, had any response from any of these national organizations? Uh, Reverend Barber came down, and he is fighting with us and trying to help us. But nary a word from the NAA, none of the other organizations you mentioned. No, sir. After, after five so, years... So, so dealing with cancer... So for five years now, you have not, you have not had um, uh, any communication or involvement... Uh, standing with you guys from the National Urban League, from the NAACP, from Reverend Al Sharpton's National Action Network? Exactly. Precisely. Uh, Reverend Barber is the only national organization uh, in that area, besides the other environmental organizations we've had support and help from. But these organizations you named, the NAACP, the Urban League, these organizations who you think would have come to our aid would have. So I'm a former president of our local chapter of the NAACP. But we have not had any assistance from them in our fight against this petrochemical industry. Mm. Um, that is certainly um, uh, sad to hear. And so... Um, what, what's happening next? You said you had a, had a couple of marches. Um, what do you want people who are watching, listening to do uh, to stand with you and the folks in Louisiana uh, in this area? We need them to uh, join with us in a number of ways. Uh, uh, we, need, we need them to bring it to the attention of the, of the elected officials. We have a new uh, second congressional district representative who has reached out to us, and I thank that he's going to be more supportive of us. And we need our people to, uh, to stand with him and to help him when he do try and to hold him accountable as well. But he has reached out to us. That is a rare thing. Even rarer than that, the new EP administrator, Mr. Regan, not only reached out to us, he came to our community and he walked the streets and met the people. And he promised that he is going to help us. And that's been a great encouragement to us. He made some really stringent improvements on that plant and with the chemicals they're emitting to the people. 
We appreciate that. We hope that that's a shining example to the other officials that they need to be reaching out and helping these poor people. These children should not have to sacrifice their lives for the benefit or profit of these corporations. All right. Robert Taylor, president of the Concerned Citizens of St. John Parish from the Reserve, Louisiana. We sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland. All right, folks, I'm going to go to my panel here. Uh, uh, joining me, Sharon Kay. She's the general manager of WFSK-FM, Jazzy 88, uh, here on the campus of Fisk. Also, Reverend Jeff Carr, founder of the Affinity Fellowship, uh, and Kia Jarman, uh, uh, agency director at the MEPR agency. First of all, what's MEPR? Me, PR. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> uh, we just know exactly what, what the heck that Mirror is. for your business. So we, so we were talking to, talking to him about uh, environmental uh, racism, uh, this cancer alley that's in Louisiana. Uh, and, 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 and this is one of the issues. When we talk about civil rights, we talk about um, what's happening uh, in our communities. A lot of, very few people talk about the environmental racism, but that greatly impacts asthma, impacting African-Americans, air quality is just not one of those issues that you often hear African-Americans raising in terms of uh, how, we, how our health is being impacted by uh, petrochemical and, and again, the environmental, uh, uh, the environmental atmosphere. Who you listen to, because the the folks that have worked on health disparity issues for decades and decades, researchers, and activists and public health workers, they've known this and talked about it for a long, right. long time. But I'm, but I'm talking about when you think about the collective of African Americans. When you, when you ask, when you look at these surveys that are done, uh, what are the top issues affecting us? This is typically not one of the top no. issues, but it has a direct impact it on does. our health. It does. There are so many dots that connect when it comes to disparities that impact people of color. And we're just now getting used to looking at just a few of them. There's many more than that because this is a mental health issue. It's green space. It's the ability to be able to live comfortably without disruption. In this community we live in here, we had a dump for many years in the black community. And it took a lot of work, a lot of fighting to get that to change and the community is still dealing with the outcome and that's cancer and issues involving liver and other bodily functions so it has been hard across the country i don't i think there's so much we have to deal with right we haven't had that one as one we've dealt with well, jeff i think what also what happens is when we talk about the environment it typically has been seen as that's white folks problems okay. a, a white folks issue when in fact no it's, it's one that impacts us Yes, and, and what we have to do is we have to recontextualize this thing. Because when we hear environmental issues, we start hearing the words that are used for the white activists, and that is tree lovers, or people who are you know, into wearing patchouli all the time. Well, I think that this should, this should your microphone, so let's just share this for right now, and then we'll figure out what's going on. Okay, test one, two, is it on there? All right, good. I think I'm coming through on there. We can pass this one and be okay. All right. Great, great, great. Good thing I've been double vaxxed and all of that wonderful stuff and, and, and tested recently. Okay, well, good. I'm catching up with you. All right, cool. That's a, that, and that is an environmental issue as well. When we talk about environmental issues, Roland, we're talking about not just people who are considered tree huggers or people who show up and sit in the park and, and burn sage and, and wear patchouli. These kind of stereotypes are there. But we're talking about in Cancer Alley, your guest you know, explained, you have up to 150 companies there in Louisiana who are putting out chemicals like chloroprene, which are proven to be a human carcinogen. 
these uh, er these areas often are the only spaces in urban areas where black people can be because it's also tied to issues like gentrification. It's tied to issues like displacement. And we are often pushed to the marginal spaces, including industrial communities. Uh, those, those areas that we talked about that Sharon mentioned, uh, the Bordeaux landfill. Uh, there's a landfill that was coming um, off Briley Parkway. All of the landfills that you have that are happening, they're, they're placed in urban communities and in poor white communities. This is groundwater. It's runoff. All of this goes into, into issues that affect us from cancer uh, to, to brain development, to early childhood development, to birth defects. I think this is one issue that needs to rise to the top of the conversation because, as you said, we talk about black economic development. We talk about politics. But if we are not here and healthy to be able to institute those things, then we're not going to be able to make significant change. We have to start talking about environment and see it through our eyes. Uh, Kia, in talking with uh, Robert there, he said that uh, Reverend Dr. William Barber of the Poor People's Campaign, repairs of the breach, they've come down, assisted them. He said, but they have not, in five years, they have not heard from, from the national NAACP. They've not heard from Reverend Sharpton's National Action Network or Mark Murray, National Urban League. Uh, these are, uh, in terms of, you know, larger civil rights organizations, uh, these are the folks who can amplify these issues and actually give them uh, sort of a, uh, a, a national uh, imprint. He's saying they need to hear from them, and he was a local NAACP president. Be contacted. I hope they will, uh, because all across the country, as my my colleagues here have talked about, we are seeing the disparity. Uh, uh all the time. What I will say is that nature is our inheritance. Being able to breathe well is the inheritance our ancestors gave us. And so the reason why it doesn't show up on a survey or doesn't end up in a, a press report or what have you is because we don't have the luxury to talk about not being able to breathe. Um, I imagine that um, while we're also being shot and killed, which is some of what uh, those other activists are working through, that this hopefully does get an opportunity to be a part of the conversation as well. Um, and again, after this conversation that we have here on your show, I imagine somebody will be calling, I hope, uh, and I hope we also rename Cancer Alley to be more reflective of what the community, the, the value and the culture of the fabric of the community, not Cancer Alley. That in and of itself means that I'm inviting cancerous behavior. Uh, we understand how that works when we speak with all those things out of our mouth, then they become. And so when we continue to call it Cancer Alley or we continue to allow people to perpetuate that onto us, then of course it's going to continue to be Cancer Alley. Um, and we have a Cancer Alley in every city that black folks are yeah. And But this is also why, uh, look, John Bill Edwards was reelected largely with the benefit of black votes. And this is why also putting a level of pressure on him. Uh, saying we expect you to deal with this, uh, you got back in office, but he he won by around thirty thousand votes. If it was not for a huge black turnout, he is not reelected, uh, and so this is where the pressure has to be brought to bear on this Democratic governor uh, to do more. And if that means launching protests against him, if that means showing up wherever he speaks, that has to happen. Well, he's probably not. He's probably not the only uh, governor to have dealt with environmental issues. Right, but he's the governor right now. Right now, but I mean, for decades, those people in, in Louisiana and states across the United States have been, been dealing with this. Our ancestors had to deal with it. So this is not, it's not new, but um, just to piggyback a little bit off of what you just said, Jeff, it's, as soon as people put the, it's tied to liberals, or as soon as they say something about the green environment or something like that, a lot of people lose interest and see it as political versus health. 
and not seeing it as a health-related issue. We didn't even think fried foods messed with us. We ate them a chick, ate fried chicken at church all the time and greens and macaroni and cheese. The church didn't even start changing its diet until the, the diabetes numbers rose to the level where they are, and a lot of people in churches were losing their limbs. They were getting their legs and feet cut off. <clears throat> a lot of people in uh, churches and families were, were missing. They had cancer. So we did not discuss it until we started looking at the numbers. And maybe the numbers need to get looked at a little closer. Well, I, I think that um, I think you're right when we talk about green. But what we have to understand, even when we mention uh, green, that also is economics. That's a different kind of green. And so, again, it's get, getting out of the mindset of, oh, you're thinking green peace, you're thinking uh, white folks, tree huggers. No, no, we're talking about what impacts us directly. Yes, yes, and you also, you want to be around. I'm always, I'm always a health advocate for people, too. And we have to be better advocates for each other, and we have to be better advocates for our communities. Like you said, you have to bring in our organizations that are claiming to stand for the people and push this to the top of the agenda. I go to a lot of meetings and people are talking about how do we leverage our political power. We go to a lot of meetings and people are talking about how do we build housing or how do we uh, get involved in the economy, but you rarely hear the issue of health pushed to the top. On this show we've talked before, you brought in experts who were talking about everything from diabetes to heart disease to sarcoidosis, an amazing conversation we've had before. And people say, well, I, I never thought about this before. Well, you need to think about it because we need to be able to have longevity if we're going to be existing in a society where we want to fully participate mm -hmm. as citizens. And that's why this is important. Uh, if we think about green, Think about the color green, think about life, think about energy, think about purpose, think about direction, and think about priority. And when we have this conversation in spaces like this, we push those organizations, as Kia said, to start paying attention more. We want to be in this space, and we want to have longevity, we want to have consistency for our families and for our communities, and we want to be able to build. And this is where we start. Yeah, because it's one thing to say we want, we want jobs. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Economic development, one of their own businesses. But if you can't breathe, who's gonna work? <laughs> I mean, breathe, I mean, who's gonna yeah, if, yeah. if you can't breathe, yeah. uh, you can't go to work. Right. And, I, I, and, and I know this. Look, I grew up in, in in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas. The ship channel's right behind me. Mm-hmm. So I live my entire life. I breathe those chemicals. I mean, the pl- I mean, I can tell you uh, the nights when that funk was so major. I mean, it just set. I mean, it was. I can still smell it in my nostrils. Uh, w- what it smelled like living next to, and Houston is the petrochemical capital of the world, uh, right next to the Ship Channel, and you've seen the billowing of smoke uh, coming out uh, of, of those plants and what it smelled like living next to that. Yeah, I, I want to uh, take this a little bit further. We've been talking about this as in black people need to be aware, but we also, as you mentioned, 30,000 people, black folks, voted for this particular governor. We always... No, no. he won by 30,000 30, And it was a black margin that made that the difference him to him winning. And that happens in how many markets? Right. Yes. <laughs> Almost every. Yes. We've worked on campaigns before where we Ooh, know... Absolutely, where we know that the black vote is the vote to get, and then once they get in office, they, they do a disservice, they turn their back on us. No, and you I'm, know what, hold up. Here's the deal. I, I hear that a lot, that they, they, they do a disservice turning their back, but part of the problem is also we leave. I, I, I hear that. I always say yeah. the election is the end of one process and yes. the beginning of the other. Yeah. So it's one thing to help somebody win, but you've got to show up at the school board meeting, the city Agreed. council meeting, the county uh, county commissioners meeting, you got to show up at the legis- state legislature and Congress, and that's why our organizations come in. And I think a lot of times, I remember when, when Obama won, I did several TV shows, uh, and one of the sites, other they were like, I did my part. I said, no, no, boom. Yeah. I said, yeah. the election's <laughs> over. No, and I'm I like, disagree. you got Absolutely. you got more work to do, yeah. and that's also part of the deal. Trying to get people, then people tell me, well, why I got to do all that, and I voted. I'm like, because they are. 
I said, don't think for a second that those you opposing uh, are sitting at home like you are. Oh, no. Yep. They're showing up in mass. All these crazy black folks we're seeing showing up these school boards, howling about critical With race no theory. no children in the school. And they're lying. But again, and they're, <laughs> they're showing up. So guess what? You got to meet force with force. Yeah, and, and I don't disagree. I'm, I'm more pushing the, the system also has to be looked at and interrogated, not just the individual people. And that's really what I want to push to is who's holding accountable. The, you know, I, I love the local NAACP person, but who's also holding accountable these big companies? That one NAACP office, and I've worked here locally with our NAACP, we don't have the power. That that really is where the system has the power. And so I want us, yes, to show well, that's up. that's where the national organization comes in. That is where the national organizations in, in, in general come Man, you're absolutely right about that. I, Roland said, you said something, Roland. I don't know if you want to unpack this here because this is a, it's a hot issue. I got to live in the city, which, and I don't mind because I'm independent. I can say this. But how do we, and this is, I guess, for everybody in this conversation, how do we balance with local NAACP offices the, the priority with the national office who has a bigger bully pulpit when local offices are often uh, finding themselves struggling for support and beholden to some corporations for donations. Well, but the, so the, how do you walk well, that thin well, well, line? Well, and, and the, this is the thing that I talked about earlier when I gave my lecture uh, to the students here, where I talked about being caretakers of the culture. Uh, when, we talk, when we talk about this fight for resources, we have to understand that the, that, that the most fundamental problem that we're facing right now is that Af African Americans across the board, our organizations, our HBCUs across the board, are almost completely reliant upon white philanthropy. Yes. Yes. And so when I said to them, okay, so y'all walk around here talking about how important Fisk is and you're wearing your shirts and everything, I said, but what's your alumni giving rate? When the average alumni giving rate of HBCUs nationally is 5%. That means 95% of all graduates ain't sending a dollar. 50 cents, a quarter, a dime, or a nickel. So we also have to readjust the view where we literally are in a position of demanding, well, why is the NAACP doing this and Urban League doing this, but then who's funding? So Black Lives Matter is getting all this criticism because of, of the 60 or $90 million. NAACP got $140 million. Ain't nobody challenging them on what you're doing with that $140 million you got from corporate America. And so that's also part of the deal. The reason color of change is so effective, they don't take corporate money. Corporations have been trying to throw money at them, True. and Rashad Robinson, all them, they're like, no, they don't take corporate money. So that's also part of the deal here. How are we going to properly fund our institutions so we can't demand they do something if we then turn around and don't actually say, we're going to help fund you in order to, in, in order to be independent or, as they say, to fund black liberation. And, well, Cher, you can speak to that because you, you do fundraising drive for the radio station here at this. We're in one now so folks can give. But it's very, very difficult to get our community to prioritize. We want everything. We want it and give it to me quick and all that and all that. But when it comes to paying for it, there, there, there's no understanding of that. No, I, I, okay, I'm going to push back again. Here's, okay, here's, here's, I'm going to put, no, I'm going to push back here because here, he, 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 but here's, I think, what would you have, what we have to do. People have to see what is being done. With the money. With the money. 
And, we and, only hold each other accountable when it comes to that. Right, but we I'm talking about... We do not hold anybody else accountable. Oh, absolutely. Any, but I'm no. talking about being very public about it. What I'm talking about is, and, and this is hard for a lot of us because, frankly, we haven't been raised this way. I'm talking about literally, and I do, I do it all the time on my show. Y'all, let me explain something to y'all. This costs $55,000. You want us to do this, 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 this costs $55,000. This is what we need for this and for this. And then when we get it, I turn right around and say, this is how we did it. Let me show y'all. It's in action. And so the first year, our donor base probably gave close to $500,000. Second year, $672,000. Last year, $827,000. Now, I am constantly stating this is why we need to do this. This is why you should give. And here's the other thing. I don't send them no swag. I'm like, every dollar, I'm like, if I send you a hat, a shirt, I'm or a mug, the money, but, but here's the problem. <laughs> I tell them, that's money we got to spend. I'm going to put it all here. And one of the things that I hear constantly from people is you're showing us and you're so transparent with what's happening with the right. resources, we see it. Yeah. And I think, I think when part of the deal where people say, well, I don't know where my money is going, we did this, this. This, I do that. This, I do that this. every day, and, and for every fundraiser that we have, and, and, just and, got, keep and I them. invite them to the station to see the equipment that they bought. That station is a complete chronicle of every there dime Nashville has given because the station was broke when I got there 16 there go. years ago. They know it when they see it, and they don't see something broke down and from Vanderbilt's basement. There you they go. see the stuff that they paid for. There you go. That board cost $25,000. Had y'all not given. I do tours like that daily. So I'm, but that Hold only on, you moves. Do, you do tours, but... On air appeals No, 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 no. It's on air appeals. But are you also driving that digitally? Are you t t shooting videos? I'm doing are you everything. you putting on social? Except the hula hoop on the, on the front porch. No, good, uh, good, yeah, good. But that, but yeah, that's what, but that, that. that, but yeah. that has to be yeah. replicated yeah. in multiple communities yeah. because I deal with a lot of people who go, man, you know, I'm uncomfortable for asking. I said, uh, said, you want to be broke as hell or out of business? I said, I ain't got a problem asking for money. I said, but I said, but I don't ask for money. I, I show them what I'm asking money for exactly. and then show them when we use it exactly. and go, hey, uh, that 20 grand, see, that's how we were able to do this here. And people then go, oh, got it, because we give, oh, we, we, well, we're, good at, we, we're good at giving. We, yes, we give $11 billion, two-thirds of black households every year. I just want to give, make sure. But, the, but the problem <laughs> is, it is also how do we then tell people how do you redirect giving? Because I'm a firm believer. I don't care whether the church or whatever. You got to show me. Yes. Mm -hmm. You got to show me, yes. but we have to also begin to tell our people, you cannot, I'm telling, it's like I, I've been to six, this is about, I've been at least 65 HBCUs, and I hear these people, oh, you can go to HBCU, I'm like, I don't give a damn. I say, I give more money than you have. My whole deal is, you, and I'll challenge somebody, how much are you giving? Uh, I, I don't want to hear it, because you can't tell me it's important right. if you haven't given. Where you put your money tells me how important it is, and I think the only way our groups are going to be able to truly represent us is if they are truly independent groups that we fund. Otherwise, corporate America will always own them. Or government.
Because yeah. if you stick state and federal in, and the state schools have to get on their knees to, to the uh, government, they have to be quiet. They can't speak their mind. No, no, they can't the teach and train. The state schools can't do it. But all of a sudden, if five, ten thousand graduates show up, but see again, that's why I go back to the mobilization organization. I've been look. I've, I've gone to Austin in Texas with Texas Southern University. Uh, I've been in North Carolina with the HBCUs there. Uh, I've, I've been here, and and I'll talk and I'll say, look, some stuff y'all can't say. We good. Mm. We got this. Let me do, let me That's do right. This. Let me Don't do worry it. about it. Yeah. It's like y'all sit on over there. We gonna put that heat over here, and y'all just sit there and go. Oh, that's them. But you just sit the inside, going hell. You keep saying it. But that's the inside outside game. But the only way that's effective is if a thousand, five thousand show up. One. What can happen is if you got five or ten folks show up with the president, you know, advocating. No, no, no. They got to feel that heat. I, ain't nothing black people have gotten in American history <laughs> that was not accompanied by heat. Yeah, that's Frederick Douglass. Yeah, there's a there's no struggle, there's no progress, and that's that's part of the foundational space. There's something you said though, Roland, that I think is important when you pointed out the difference between NAACP 140 million, Black Lives Matter 90 million. There's the transparency issue. There's the consistency Ur issue. Urban League got a hell of a lot too. And Urban League too. But think about this though. The track records of Urban League, the track records of NAACP allows us to have a little more public trust and even the transparency of those organizations over the long term. Right. I found that transparency is important in any movement. Yes. I tell people here locally and nationally, people say, I want to collaborate with you. I say, okay, who are you working with and who's giving you money? And they said, well, we don't have, why we had to talk like that, bro? Why, why we can't trust these? No, because I want, I want to know who, who you repping. I want to know who you repping. I'm going to give you my tax returns. I'm going to give you my yearly statements for my organization. And I want you to give me the same. And I know that when people say, well, I'm not really into that, that tells me that there's something else going on behind the scenes. There you go. So I can't sit at the table with you and go move, lead the movement if we don't know who you're related to, if we don't know who's giving who money mm -hmm. and who's working for who. This is the issue that came up with Black Lives Matter. And this is something that is called in history movement capture. When something starts to come alive, especially if it does not have the infrastructure in place, corporate America, state and local government know to throw money at it. Continue to throw money at it and know that if those protocols are not put in place, it will eventually come around and bite the organization in the butt. It will also subtract from your credibility. And it will also, because it's not independently funded at that point, limit you in what you can do to serve the people. So when we get to a space where we want to have transparency, we want to support, you can definitely work the inside out space. Knoxville College, three hours from here. They just got approval from the city of Knoxville to build 12 acres of affordable housing that they're going to be funding for their institution. Get this, 10 years ago, they were going to close that HBCU. But now, because of visionary thinking, they're finding a way to solve problems, and mm -hmm. they are involving their city and their community there. When we reach a point where we can come with innovative uh, solutions to our problems, you'll find that one leader putting vision into the world is infectious. It's the spark that gets everybody going. We always have to make sure we have transparency because when you have community support, these leaders of our institutions, our organizations, our colleges can then put their chest up and say, what we're doing with the rest of the community, including corporate America, is we're partnering, but we're not leaning on. And it's if also, you, and, we, and we're equally partnering. But kids, also where the communication comes in. Uh, one of the one of BLM's biggest problem was they weren't talking to anybody.
And even when Patrice Cullors left as, as the uh, as the co-founder, I mean, literally she left in May of last year, they still weren't talking to anybody. And I was sitting there going, and I had someone who called me, I said, you know I ain't heard from none of y'all. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just like when people, it's just like when people running for office, um, you know, I, I, got, I got a text message today, and I was like, okay, you running for Congress, I live in that district. Yeah. What have I heard from you? And I ain't heard from you. Yeah. Now, you, you might want to call me, especially because your opponents call me. And again, but, but it's, it's, it's communication. It's talking with the general public and sharing with them. Uh, and, and, and that to me, because again, people have a level of, of mistrust. Yeah, black folks going to hold, you absolutely right. Black folks to a higher standard, it's BS. Uh, but, but they'll give white organizations uh, far more leeway. But when, but when you're up front and you're on the offensive and you're not responding or being on the defensive, I think it actually helps. And people are, say, you know what? I can trust that cat. I can trust them with my money, my resources, because they're letting me know the upfront about it. Yeah, I definitely call it the McDonald's effect. You know, we don't mind going to McDonald's and knowing that that machine doesn't work, that ice cream machine, it never works. The black business, the one time inside a chicken, we got an issue. Um, and so that's what Sherry was talking about. Uh, I, I do think transparency is really important. I also want, again, the, I always want to go back to the system and the system to be accountable to us as well. And there's been so much harm to our community. That's where the distrust comes from. Why do we always overshare and then they use it against us? They backbite us. And that's a lot of times what we see locally and also nationally. So that's why it's challenging from the communication standpoint to be honest. Because every time we're honest, every time we show a hand, every time we have a TV show that even speaks to our, the black experience, what they do, they use it against us. And so we've, we've, that has happened so many times, it's been challenging. Well, that's also because that's also what happens when you depend on white media. Hello, mm. come on. Again. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I, I, mean, I, I can just. You don't have your own I, network. And you don't no, have no, but, no, but, yeah, but I can tell you the number of people who, who, I, who I deal with, they'll call MSNBC first, yep. but then they won't, they won't even talk to you. When, uh, when, uh, when, when, the, when the Poor People's Campaign came out with their report talking about the impact of COVID on frontline workers and the working poor, uh, I had one of the representatives on my show, and I asked her, I said, did y'all do any of the national shows today? And she didn't have the answer if I hit it, Reverend Barber. And he said, no, everybody we reached out to said they were busy with Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearing in Ukraine. Now, what does that tell you? You got a 24-hour network. You're going to talk about two stories. Mm -hmm. And only one black story. That, that's it? Two? Two? Yeah. Is that, I mean, like, 24 hours. I got two hours and I'm going to cover six, eight, ten stories. But, that, but that's also part of the deal. So what, one thing I tell our people is... Uh, stop also living by white validation where you're waiting on them to cover you when you go to black radio, you go to black newspaper, you go to magazines, you go to websites, you go to bloggers, and you build up there. And trust me, they're going to wake up eventually, but if you're waiting on them to call you and they never do, then you say, oh, we never got any coverage. Yeah, but you ain't call us. Mm. I agree. Mm. I only really want to go to black media and black press because I know that that's where the story actually gets told. I'm not going to be cut down to 15 seconds or, uh, you know, seven-minute expose. I'm going to be able to really tell the story. And so I agree 100% with well, you there. And that's why uh, historically black colleges and universities ought to cherish their radio and TV stations, just like ours. And I have to remind the Fist family constantly, you own your own mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Would Gabriel sell his horn? Mm -hmm. Why do we not what understand? The first black newspaper, Freedom Journal, we wish to plead our own cause to <laughs> long have others spoken for That's us. Right. Yes. Media is the second most powerful institution in the world behind the military. Mm -hmm. Why would you <laughs> blow it off is the dumbest thing in the world. I'm just trying to tell you. So when I say would Gabriel sell his horn, I mean that collectively and across the board to, to the schools. There's less than 30 
uh, HBCU college radio stations in the country. Less than 30. They've sold radio stations. They've sold television yes. stations. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been talking for the longest about uh, trying to sell the license for w to uh, the WHUR-TV, yes. Howard University. Yes. No, what you should be doing is saying, hold up, we got a full power station, yep. and fine, it's, it, 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 you know, it's a public broadcasting. Right. Uh, how can we work the hell out of this station? Right. There's a way to do it, but you got, but you got to be, you got to have the vision to program it. Well, and our station will be 50 years old next year. It is among the oldest in the United States. It's not the oldest, but it's in that group, that echelon of about six or seven schools that have lasted that long. The last thing uh, HBCU should ever think about is getting rid of its voice. That's right. Its voice directly is a pipeline directly to the community. There you go. Every student, every person that works at this campus, faculty or otherwise visiting or whatever, should know that this university has one of the nation's oldest historically black college radio stations. Not the oldest, but we in the group. There should be something. They should sing it and talk about it all the time. And not just every now and then when it comes right. up. Because of what this conversation you're having is speaking to the significance of owning your own. You got it. If you got it, then why, why don't you? Got you got it, use love it. it. Love it. If I, that's how I see it. If you you got to take care of what you love. Hey, I don't care. If you're a man or woman. You got to find body. Go on with that swimsuit. <laughs> no, you got it. Flaunt it. Yes. You got it. Yes. Go on. My point. But, but My I, point. No, I'm with 100%. As somebody who, who understands the power of media, yeah. uh, but it's amazing to me how many university leaders don't, don't see get it. it. They don't, they don't see it. They don't understand and, and then, But then complain when somebody does a story and it's all screwed up, it's like, well, you let somebody else tell your story. Right. Well, either that or they'll take their money to corporate media, because I spent 28 of my 43 years in corporate media, and won't give it to the campus station or won't feed it back through the pipeline at the campus right. station to buy a piece of equipment or to get a new computer or to get pay for some services. They won't put it back in. They'll mm. give it out and then be upset because they got gouged. Their price was so high they couldn't right. couldn't get much messaging with that. Right. So the frustration is, you know, you and I can have a real long conversation about that. Oh, I, I mean, but, but, Ooh, yes, but, yeah, but, 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 but it's also, and I, that's why I spend so much time uh, doing these deconstructions to our audience about black-owned black -owned media advertising because a lot of people have no concept of what happens behind the mic, don't understand what we deal with, uh, but also people don't really understand the power of media. And there's a reason why Rupert Murdoch wields Fox News the way he does to control the Republican Party, to set the tone, to drive the agenda. And so I'm always talking about how do we build capacity where we do it ourselves with our own institutions. And so that's also a part of that. Got to go to a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Tennessee uh, now going to be requiring black history to be taught uh, in schools. Yeah, but also with all the crazy anti-CRT people, we'll see how uh, that's going to go. Uh, and, uh, and also uh, a reverse racism complaint here in Nashville. Okay, we'll explain that as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Fisk University. Uh, folks, don't forget to support the show. Download our Black Star Network app. Of course, our goal is to hit 50,000 downloads by May 1st. Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Samsung TV, uh, Amazon Fire, Xbox as well. And you can also join our Bring the Funk fan club. But every dollar you give goes to support this show, P.O. Box uh, 57196. Uh, Washington, D.C., uh, 20037. Uh, don't forget, cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Pay
PayPal is rmartin unfiltered. Venmo is rm unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. When did you know that this is what I wanted? I think right after high school, because in high school I was in all the plays. Well, I was always funny, mm. but I didn't know nobody would pay me for it, you know. And then I saw Eddie Murphy. This was like 84 when I saw Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing in the whole wide world, not just comedy. But anyway, he saved Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't started that, that show would be gone. He, uh, he had done 48 hours, trading places, his first Beverly Hills cop could wear the hell out of a red leather suit, and he wasn't but 23 years old. He was rich enough to pee cream, and he got all that telling jokes. I said, shit, I've been funny my whole life. I didn't know people give you money like that, so <laughs> I went and got some Red Fox albums. I went down to my mama's basement where I was living anyway, and I stood in that mirror and played them albums and them jokes until I could tell them like they were mad. Wow. And that started me doing jokes, and then I went and did comedy in the street. I was standing on State Street, tell jokes and pass my hat, and white folks would come up and just hand me money, and I liked it. Next, Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. You'll learn how wealth begins at home and how it can set the right path and the right course. Wealth building, specifically in the Black community, is about making sure that we have assets that can last beyond our lifetime. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Pull up a chair, take your seat, the Black Tape, with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Y'all know who Roland Martin is. He Got the ask God only do the news. It's fancy news. Keep it rolling. Right here. Rolling. Rolling Martin. <laughs> right now. You are watching Rolling Martin. Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Rolling Martin. Folks, we're in the Appleton Room uh, in Jubilee Hall here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The campus of Fisk University. So glad uh, uh, for you uh, to be with us uh, as we uh, are broadcasting uh, from here. I've been the scholar of residence, scholar in residence for the past um, uh, few months, uh, giving various lectures to the students. And I had one today talking about uh, them being the caretakers of the culture. If you missed uh, that lecture, go to the Black Star Network app. You can actually see it uh, in full. Uh, a uh, let's just say a real clear. Uh, conversation that we had there and so uh, I think it's one that you definitely want to check out and so it'll actually be great. Uh, all right folks uh, right now uh, let's talk about um, first of all we got, we got s- several different stores I want to talk about. Uh, w- one of them deals with <laughs> again what's what's happening here uh, in uh, Nashville. A white Tennessee lawmaker is being called racist by a white-led Tennessee group for calling them White people. Yeah, Tim Tones of West Nashville Group Reclaim Brook Mead Park issued the complaint against Councilmember Jenny Welsh after she publicly blasted the group. Tom says in the complaint that the word white was used as a racial slur. Here's what Welsh said during a city council meeting. Um, some tweets and social media posts from HID um, seem to indicate that some decisions have already been made, and this um, this was actually a pilot for the closure of um, the encampment in Brookmead Park. Um, you had a meeting just last week 
with the mayor's office and the rather arrogantly named Reclaim Brookmead Park group. It seems that you, that HID is being very, very reactive to very loud white noisemakers who are inconvenienced by the realities of homelessness. And we can't develop policy or allocate our resources Okay, y'all saw that, right? Uh, the council member accused of using the racial slur is white. Next week, an ethics committee meeting could set an important precedent about the circumstances under which white people can be referred to by their race. Really? I mean, I'm just saying, really? I mean, I mean can, here, here's the thing that cracks me up. You'll see stories, the mayor meets with a group of black pastors. And then he meets with a group of white pastors, the mayor meets with a group of pastors. Right. I mean, the real deal is, White folks have never had to be called white because whenever we talk about it, it's like, yeah. you knew who we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, suck it up. Yeah, I mean, Y'all yeah. white. Well, yeah. you, and you know, the irony is years and years ago, uh, we used to say other, than, other words than white, and you know what they were. And it, was, it wasn't as, as big a deal as this has been. This, to me, has been absolute insanity. I, I think that if you can't say white, 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 black, 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 something's wrong with you. I just do not believe that we all know human beings are colors, have color and, and melanin in their skin and in their bodies. And you, you cannot tell me that person that made that statement meant it from the depths of his soul. I think he meant it like that for other reasons. That just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Well, but, but, but in America, what they've done is Everybody who isn't white, <laughs> I, 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 there's that scene from the movie The Good, the, the Good Shepherd between, Matthew, uh, uh, between uh, Matt Damon and Joe Pesci. And Joe Pesci says, I don't understand. He said, the Irish, we, excuse me, he said, the Irish got the church. We've got our family. He used the N-word and said, they got their music. What y'all got? Tell about white Anglo-Saxon policies. And this is what he said. We got the United States of America. The rest of you are just visiting. That's right. And that's, that right, that, this guy right here, the kid, this is what this guy was talking about. Yeah. His, and his whole deal is, how, how, how dare you call me white? Well, I'm calling you what you are. Yeah, your discomfort is not racism. Like, me calling you a name and you feel individually uncomfortable is not racism. What racism really is is about power and prejudice and how we dole that out, particularly to black and indigenous and people of color. Um, how we, in, in, in particular, are punitive in our behavior um, towards those people. How it uh, systemically harms people. Not because you feel uncomfortable for the day. Not because you... Uh, somehow, you know, had a bad moment. Uh, so that, that is not racism. It doesn't actually exist. I don't believe in reverse racism for white folks. They, they should get over that. When we talk, also when we talk, I think it's important to note, especially in context of something Kia said was important. We talk about the difference between prejudice or discrimination or personal hatred and racism. Sism is, it, it tells you that it's a system, right? There's sexism, there's racism, there's classism. But the difference is when you have the ability to put your personal prejudice into public policy and it discriminates, that's racism. We, the, the working model for racism that we see in America is white supremacy. And now to even say white is somehow seen as prejudice or negative, 
or pejorative. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely nuts, as, as shared as you said. But we have to understand the context here because it's not just this one instance with Councilwoman Welsh. She's, she's a councilwoman, a district over from my house. Uh, and she basically described the same crowd that you see at the Williamson County School Board. Uh, fighting against black history and calling it critical race theory. It's the same crowd that shows up and waves the guns downtown on the steps, well-meaning, supposedly well-meaning people who had this issue with a homeless camp because the city of Nashville bowled over uh, uh, Tent City. They bowled over everything and mowed over everything that and they gave Fort Negley. They gave people a respite there. We built six tiny homes to, uh, in the first uh, tiny home village in Nashville to accommodate people who were homeless because the city kept driving them out. They made laws in metro ordinances against homeless people being able to ask people for 50 cent with the billions of dollars that are flowing downtown. Now you can't, you, there's a zone that's a no homeless zone downtown. This is part of a larger system. The area of Bellevue, which was a mostly affluent white greenway space out there, homeless people found a respite there. And the group came together created a name for their group to say that they're concerned neighbors, and all of a sudden, we have a homeless problem and we want to get them out of our neighborhood. And she described them aptly. There aren't, there's not African-American leadership there. There are community organizations that are showing up, providing food for the homeless there, giving them resources, and the white folks in Bellevue want their green space. They want to be able to walk mm. their dogs. They want to be able to play Frisbee. There's nothing wrong with that. But when she described them as a group of white people who are showing up shouting, it was an accurate description. And we have reached a point where we, can, we have this space of sensitivity where we can't talk and we can't be honest in how we describe the energy of a meeting. So kudos to, to Councilwoman Welsh, who is white as well. So if anybody can call a white person a white person. Mm -hmm. I think it should be another white person. Protect their hey, civil rights hey, to I'm, do so. I'm, I'm like, if you that sensitive, I mean, yeah. Join yeah, the you, club. You need yeah. Sorry, y'all. Uh, let's talk about uh, Mason, Tennessee. A Tennessee judge folks declined to stop the state's uh, financial takeover of this majority black town near the site of a planned Ford uh, pickup truck factory. The Nashville <laughs> Chancellor Ann Martin said the town of Mason's interests are slightly outweighed by the state's need to oversee balanced budgets and financial woes in local government under law. Uh, Chancellor Martin said she needed more information about the claims from Mason's leadership. The state is treating the town's uh, majority black leaders differently than prior white administration, administrations who were struggling with their finances. Uh, the controller, Jason Mumpower, who said his office would keep working with Mason to address its financial issues, released this statement about the ruling. Quote, I appreciate the judge's decision that denies the motion for a temporary injunction. Our office's interest has always been the restoration of the town's financial health and improved financial management. We will continue to work with Mason so that it can pay back its debts, operate on a balanced budget, and deliver timely financial statements. The citizens and taxpayers of Mason deserve a financially sound government that is set up for success. Uh, Van D. Turner Jr. is the state legal redress chair and president of the Memphis branch of the NAACP. Van, glad to have you here. Uh, Thank you. NAACP sued on behalf of Mason. So what's next? Well, uh, as you read, the uh, temporary injunction was denied. However, the case was not dismissed. So the parties are negotiating. Uh, but if the parties are unable to reach a, a resolution through negotiation, we'll continue with the case and enter into what we call the discovery phase, 
where we issue questions to them. They uh, issue questions to us. We'll have depositions and then present that all back uh, to the chancellor again. Uh, what's important to note is that uh, other towns which were controlled by white leadership, uh, which were far worse off than Mason, were not asked to surrender uh, its charter. However, Mason, uh, which has been paying back uh, what it owes to the water sewer fund, was asked to relinquish its charter. So as everyone knows, Blue Oval City is, is coming right next door to Mason, which is the big $6 billion Ford motor project. And it seems as if uh, the powers that be wanted this small black town of about 1,500 people to be moved, removed out the way so that the Republican-controlled uh, Tipton County uh, could have its way with, uh, uh, you know, realizing all of the opportunities from the Blue Over Project. So we recognize what's going on. This is not the first time we've seen this. So the NAACP is committed to continuing to fight this battle, and uh, we won't give up just because the injunction has been denied. We'll keep litigating this cause of action. Um, the the uh, the judge said she needed more information regarding how they were treated. But is there any evidence that the state controller, the, any state officials, uh, tried to address the financial issues in Mason prior to black folks taking over? Well, there were agreements entered into. Uh, the million dollars was taken out of the water sewer fund out of uh, when there was white leadership. Uh, that was about ten years ago. And so since that time, there have been various uh, attempts to pay the funds back. But under this new mayor, Mayor Emmett Gooden, uh, there was a concerted, consistent effort to pay these funds back. And so it just seems odd that at the time that uh, this black mayor uh, has, has been doing really a yeoman's job in paying back uh, these funds uh, to the water sewer fund, all of a sudden, uh, the comptroller wants the town to give up his charter. And so the, 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 the big difference here is, again, the Ford Motor Company project coming to town. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, people were not thinking about the town of Mason. Now the town of Mason is on everyone's radar because of this $6 billion project that's right down the road. So I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, why wasn't this interest shown? Why wasn't these uh, why were not these punitive measures, uh, you know, given out to the town of Mason before Ford Motor uh, sought to come to uh, West Tennessee? So it's very interesting timing. And so that's why, you know, I think we can get the support that we need to get this case back before the chancellor. And I think we can make our case before the chancellor that this is just not happenstance, but there is something that is um, not right here. And uh, we seek to prove that uh, with additional support through the discovery phase. Um, have y'all also uh, offered black financial experts to assist the city in their issues? Yes, sir. There's uh, been a, a GoFundMe uh, pay started, uh, and the amount is not a big amount. No, 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 so no, 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 Right. to come in and assist the city uh, because in, in the conversations we have with the vice mayor, it's not like you have a lot of paid city employees, but I'm right. talking about uh, individuals with expertise in financial matters to assist them with their own financial affairs. Yes, sir. So there's a very uh, well-known accounting firm in town that's black-owned, Banks, Finley, and White. They've been around for years. Uh, 
we, we are reaching out to Banks, Finley and White to assist us uh, with the auditing and other uh, things that are necessary to make sure the town stays physically sound. So to answer that question, yes, uh, we have reached out to Banks, Finley and White. And I think that we can uh, strike a deal with uh, that well-known and historic uh, black accounting firm that's not only in Memphis, but I think they have offices in Atlanta and throughout uh, the Southeast. And so uh, the town is confident that with the assistance of Banks, Finley and White uh, and with uh, the support that we think that we can get not only from the local community, but statewide and, and nationwide, you know, this is national news now. Again, the town of Mason was only known for one thing, and that was Gus's fried chicken. Uh, that's the home of, you know, the famous uh, uh, chicken uh, franchise and nothing much more. But now since the... Uh, this uh, uh, the Comptroller has tried to ask this town to relinquish its charter. It has enacted what we would say are punitive measures against this black leadership uh, that's uh, now elected to govern the town of Mason. Uh, this has hit the national spotlight. It's generated national attention. And I think that that's good because uh, we need to stop them here, but we need to stop this type of uh, 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 thing happening throughout uh, the nation. We know that several towns were taken over in, in Michigan at one point in time. Uh, we just received uh, information that the same thing occurred down in Georgia at, at a particular point in time. So uh, this is getting out. I think the uh, exposure is good. And I believe, uh, as you stated, with uh, you know black professionals coming to the aid of the town of Mason and with what we will be able to uh, uh, get out of the discovery phase, I think we should be okay as this litigation uh, progresses. All right, uh, Van Taylor, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot uh, for the work that y'all are doing. Thank you very much. All right, going to a break, we come back. Florida, still acting a the fool. They're actually getting rid of math textbooks because there's critical race theory in them. I keep telling y'all, white fear is driving all of this in America. We'll discuss when we come back right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, broadcasting live from Fisk University, Jubilee Hall. We'll be back in a moment. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you'll learn how wealth begins at home and how it can set the right path and the right course. Wealth building, specifically in the Black community, is about making sure that we have assets that can last beyond our lifetime. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. On the next A Balanced Life, the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. After two years of hunkering down, we can all relate to that spring sun and fun we may be ready to get out there but our bodies may not be ready to party on the next a balanced life we're going to get our mind body and spirit on the same page that's a balanced life with dr jackie here on the black star network pull up a chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week We'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. When did you know that this is what I wanted? 
I think right after high school, because in high school I was in all the plays, but I was always funny. Mm. But I didn't know nobody would pay me for it, you know? And then I saw Eddie Murphy. This was like 84 when I saw Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing in the whole wide world. Not just comedy, but anywhere. He saved Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't starred in that, that show would be gone. He, uh, he had done 48 hours, trading places, his first Beverly Hills cop, could wear the hell out of a red leather suit, and he wasn't but 23 years old. He was rich enough to pee cream, and he got all that telling jokes. I said, shit, I've been funny my whole life. I didn't know people give you money like that, so I went and got some Red Fox albums. I went down to my mama's basement where I was living anyway, and I stood in that mirror and played them albums and them jokes until I could tell them like they were mad. Wow. And that started me doing jokes, and then I went and did comedy in the street. I was standing on State Street, tell jokes and pass my hat, and white folks would come up and just hand me money, and I liked it. This is Judge Matthews. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wiles, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, folks, let's talk about Florida. If you want to talk about stupidity, you always talk about Florida. The Florida Department of Education, they have rejected more than 40% of proposed math books for next year's curriculum, claiming the math books contain critical race theory material. The department said 54 of 132 textbook submissions did not adhere to Florida's new standards or contain prohibited topics. Some books were rejected for references to inclusions of Common Core and the unsolicited addition of social-emotional learning in mathematics. Jeff, these really are some of the dumbest damn people I've ever seen. And, 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 and these white Republicans in Florida, and we're seeing it across the country, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Texas, Idaho, Arizona. These people are math books. Well, math books, math is usually seen as the great equalizer, right? I don't know how DeSantis is going to figure this one out. Actually, still something wrong with that microphone. So let's, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, math is usually considered the great equalizer uh, because it, it, it doesn't lie. Two plus two equals four. Uh, no matter what color you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity, uh, we are sending binary code through NASA out into space because astrophysicists will tell you that math is the language of the universe and it has nothing to do with where you came from uh, or what you believe or what you want to teach or what you want to learn or what you want to share with your kids. So what, what DeSantis is doing here is he is outlining and detailing the utter lunacy in these arguments about uh, black history. Uh, we talk about black history, there's a separate space that we must talk about this outside of what they consider to be critical race theory because we know that's not what they're discussing. Uh, we talk about common core curriculum. One of the, one of the arguments that was given for uh, denying and canceling 41% of the textbooks that would be in the schools is that the common core curriculum which teaches math by grouping as opposed to carrying the one is somehow connected to critical race theory. I can't find a connection. I'm decent in math. I recognize that the common core is a little different. It's, it's what black folks, if we're at home, we're, we hear people say the new math. When parents are trying to help their kids out, they say, oh, it's that new math. We used to just do the carry the one. But what that has to do with race and understanding of race and context, I can't figure it out. But my hope is that in this uh, embarrassing revelation of whole riddled intellectual draws that people will see that this is complete lunacy and perhaps even people who follow this concept of quote unquote anti-critical race theory, anti-blackness, anti-everything will see that it does not hold water. I also wonder what's gonna happen 
if somebody sneaks around and accidentally reveals to Santas and the Floridians here and many of those states that math was created by black people in African civilizations. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Our children will not be learning math at all. And this is what's dangerous. If you point to the Pythagorean theorem, if you take them to the pyramid of Khufu, Khafra, Amenkara, and show them the geometrical designs there and say, isn't it awesome that people of color invented mathematics and introduced them to the world and that Arabic cultures preserved it through geometry and the scriptures that they put together in their religious teachings. Maybe perhaps that is how we just get math wiped away completely from every single curriculum in the United States of America. Sharon, I think these people are taking edibles uh, in Florida. I mean, these people are crazy. I mean, you trying to find CRT in a math book. Right. It goes past edibles. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's into smoking it. It's past animals. <laughs> but I, and, and what, what is in their pipe is the question. I, now this is starting to feel a little bit like Vladimir Putin says you can't say war, you can't say this, you can't say that. It's leaning, we're just leaning in that direction because there's so many words we can't say. When a white person can't say white, and, and a black person, if we say white, then Lord knows we're going to get sued. And, and our comfort level doesn't matter. So um, I just would like for there to be a lawsuit where I can sue when I'm discomforted and, and something racially is bothering me. And I could change laws or I could ban it because the rest of us don't get to do that. It's only people that are elected, and he's auditioning for the White House. I mean, that's all. I mean, and, and, this has really gotten silly. Mm -hmm. This, this, I mean, this, this is now silly. Be, be honest with you, what I would say is, uh, we talk about common core, I would say one of the core tenets of white supremacy is confusion. Mm -hmm. This lives right in the middle of confusion. It is to make people get distracted. It is to make people concern themselves. Well, what, well, what analogy will be in the book or what uh, word problem is in the book that makes us think it's racialized in some way? Yes, we live in a racialized society, but math, as you mentioned, is the great equalizer. The way you deliver math, however, is where racism or race might have its uh, presentation. But uh, I would just say this is, uh, you know, number one tenet of white supremacy is confusion. And this is real confusing to most of us who are smart and, and been to school. And most of us who haven't been to school, it's still confusing. Well, so either way. That it, that it gets for white people, they struggle with it too. And they should, we should not be the only ones that always have to say something is wrong about something. Mm -hmm. They should be fully aware that this is lunacy and it doesn't make any sense. There is enough problems in this world and enough that we should try to fix. And if they do go to church and read the Old Testament, it is nothing but about math and how yeah. um, the temple had to be laid in so many cubits and don't measure. And so I don't, I don't know where they would possibly get that from because it certainly couldn't be from the side of religion or faith. I know you, you, you know. No, I'm just stretching. I'm stretching. I know I'm stretching. I'm stretching. I know I'm stretching. Don't Christians ain't read that Bible. <laughs> no, 80% of Christians have not read the Bible completely 100% through, but, but even if you... you well, I ain't talking about 100% through. I'm talking about 
These fools here ain't red. No, that, they ain't red. Because first of all, this is the same party that will say to hell with the poor but keep voting for tax cuts. We know they ain't red to buy. Yes, yes. And, and you might point out that the people in the Bible are people, African people of color. So that would shock them as well, too. Maybe oh, yes. Maybe they'll throw out the Bible. Oh, yeah. oh that, that's, well, I'm just saying it's going that way. It's going that way. That space is in there. So, yeah, and while it's shocking, uh, it's also revelatory that one particular company uh, one particular company has gotten the contract for uh, for everything. They've gotten the K through five books. Only one company has received the contract that all of their career. I think books. something's still wrong. Is it, is it, no. about, I don't know what I don't know whether it, we got a mic. It's just so okay. this cable or whatever the heck. But we switch mics. Go it's, ahead. Now yeah, sometimes it's a bad XLR. Sometimes it happens to me all the time. When we when we talk about this kind of context, we also have to tie the economic issues. And I think that when we have an opportunity to do a really deep dive, somebody is going to connect the dots financially because there was one company in the cancellation of this 41% of the books, that a curriculum books in there, one company's books were accepted K through five. And when you have that happening, you have the same thing that happens in states where they approve a test model, where the state has a no-bid contract with a particular company to do the testing. We saw this happening with the Bush administration with the No Child Left Behind uh, initiative that he put into the space. So I'm wondering if something like that may be happening in Texas as well, where there are these insiders' deals to say, we're going to pick this particular company's curriculum and usher it all the way through while we pick apart everybody else's under the auspices of mathematics teaching blackness. Funding his campaign, is sure. that what you're saying? Uh, sure. And the math adds up to what Roland was saying earlier <laughs> right. and what you That's said earlier. Bad, yeah. The math is, who am I really talking to? Mm -hmm. I'm gearing up for a White House run. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is bigger than just what's happening in Florida. It's speaking to the masses. It's speaking to your people and saying that I don't care if it's math. We're going to get rid of CRT. Yeah. It it's also saying no if we don't have anything to back it up, we can still push things through and nobody has an issue. It. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But look, bottom line is you always follow the money. All right, y'all. Got to go to a quick break. We come back. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered here from Fisk University. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, maps, congressional maps, uh, state maps. Uh, Republican judges in Wisconsin approved the maps there. We also will talk about what Republicans did in this state, breaking this city up. And they already control 80% uh, of congressional districts uh, in the state. They want to control 90 and they could get rid of the black district in Memphis. They damn sure try that. We'll discuss next. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. On the next A Balanced Life, the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. After two years of hunkering down, we can all relate to that. Spring, sun, and fun, we may be ready to get out there, but our bodies may not be ready to party. On the next A Balanced Life, we're going to get our mind, body, and spirit on the same page. That's A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie here on the Black Star Network. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Oh, from Blackest. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Really? You talking a lot?
Folks, the Wisconsin Supreme Court is adopting Republican-drawn maps for the state legislature. Friday, the state's highest court reversed its decision approving maps by Democratic Governor Tony Evers following the March ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. State justices ruled Wisconsin's maps were incorrectly adopted. Uh, now, this is one of many states where uh, you have ballot, uh, the elite ballot lines being drawn in the courts when it comes to who controls various districts. Let me tell you how crazy it is. Um, again, this is why elections during uh, census years matters, because what happened, of course, uh, Republican legislatures, that's where districts are being redrawn after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled, led by Justice John Roberts, that they don't have anything to do with political gerrymandering. So left up to the states. And so one of the things that you have had is you had some crazy things happening. You see it in Texas. You see it in Georgia. You see it all over. Here in Tennessee, Republicans were so uh, shameful, they literally broke up the congressional, the, the congressional district here in Nashville. So there used to be, there were 10 districts here in Tennessee. Republicans controlled eight. Democrats had two. District here in Nashville, district uh, in Memphis. Well, they decided to split Nashville into basically into three different congressional districts to take away a Democratic representative. Uh, Key, I want to start with you. This is, I mean, again, I'm always trying to explain to people how we have to connect the dots. That how you vote in um, these elections, especially in the census year, matters because the people who control um, the setting of the maps, they control power for the next 10 years. Congressional uh, maps, state maps as well, state senate, uh, state representatives, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, and what they did here was just utterly ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds like welcome to Tennessee. Um, we do a lot of utterly ridiculous things. Uh, I won't speak too much on politics. That's not my wheelhouse. But what I will say is that watching it from um, from a, a viewer perspective uh, is frustrating because what it does, it takes away the ability. You know, I have a, of colleagues who are running in those elections. Uh, it takes away their ability to really do a good service for our community. Uh, and when we talk about community engagement, we talk about how we engage with communities of, of color, in particular black folks, we're always left out of the conversation until it's time for, as we talked about earlier, the, the, the money piece. Until it's, you know, watch where the money goes, watch where we need, where you need us, the labor part. But other than that, we're not necessarily valued. Uh, and this was a great display of not being valued or valuable um, to the community uh, or, or to the politicians because they took away one of our rights as, as has happened many times before. Sharon? All I know is, is that there will be three people at the table asking for different things for different parts of this county where we have disasters and floods and tornadoes, and they're all going to be competing against each other. And it was a move to get rid of Congressman Jim Cooper because he was uh, had been in Congress for years and years and represented this district and probably could have gotten reelected again. But now what it's going to do is it's a division. It's, it's trying to take... Nashville is the largest city, and Memphis are the largest cities of where the minorities are. They know Nashville is a cash cow. This is country's king, and music industry is king here, and they know Nashville is booming. People want to control. The State House um, in downtown Nashville is run now by the Republican Party, but they want to control the city of Nashville. Yeah. And that is what is the underlying issue is the absolute control, because with the control, you control the money and you control. Oh, it's all about the money. Yeah. Well, oh, no, no question. But that this is part of something that's been systematically going on here for many, many years. And <clears throat> I've been covering it in my on my show on in, in my newscast simply because they have slick 
been slick about it and systematic about it, about the undoing of the power base in Nashville. The governor just wants to control everything, not some things, but all things. But, but, this, but this is not just Tennessee. This is the Republican strategy. Period. All across the country. They want to, I mean, we were talking about uh, how Kansas City is the only city in Missouri where the voters, they don't control their police department. Which is that insane. The police board is nominated by the governor. There's no other city in the state. And I'm from uh, there. And, and so, we, so we can go down the line yeah. in a number of states how Republicans... Uh, look, look, Georgia, when they passed their law, how they can replace members of the county elections board. They want to put their people... Th this, this is about the the legal rigging of elections. It is. That's Take what over. we're seeing here. It's, it's how they're abusing power. Uh, and so uh, what I keep trying to explain to people is this is what we're up against. And this is not just how African-Americans are going to respond. It's also how are white folks going to respond? How are these so-called white liberals or white independents uh, going to respond as well? When we talk about democracy being in danger, right. uh, that is real, Jeff. What we're seeing, it is in serious danger in this country because what they are trying to set up in 2022 is a test run for what they want to execute in 2024, and that is uh, to make the big... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. 
you know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Trump's lie, real, and they want to steal elections. City, county, state, federal elections. They want it all. Yes, and I think you're right when you say that this is a test run for the future. Uh, This is all very systemically connected here. So it is no secret. Is it working? Am I good? Do I need another mic? Okay, we're good. Wait, we're here. I'm going to make sure I set this down gently. I don't drop the mic. But uh, when we talk about systemically what's going on, all these dots are connected. Nashville was considered a blight on the Republican Party because of gerrymandering that took place when we were not paying attention over the last 20 years of what happened. Tennessee was a Democratic state. It was more blue than this tunic that I'm wearing right now. It was solidly in the columns of every presidential candidate for the last 30, 40 years. Governor Ned Ray McWhorter had the uh, the state Senate and the uh, uh, local representation in the state legislature. All of that was locked down. And what happens is Democrats got lax. And they stopped doing voter outreach. And they stopped doing outreach to minority communities. And what happened is power got shifted to rural America. You, if you want to understand how this works, look no further than the governor of the state of Tennessee. I have to remind people when I tell them for Tennessee, they say, y'all crazy down here. I say, look, no, no, we're not crazy. It's not us. It's the result of 20 years of political strategy that has gerrymandered our state and given more power to the rural communities. It's almost as if you're, you're using the Montana model where somebody in Montana who literally has six people per square mile living there has more power than a city block that has 100,000 people living in it. And that's what's happening here. When we talk about rural communities like West Tennessee, it's the same issue that we talked about with Mason when the president of the NAACP was on here. Mason, Tennessee is a test ground as well. You've got a city of 1,500 people in an area of West Tennessee that is primarily black. The governor of the state of Tennessee makes a deal with a town called Stanton to bring this blue oval city here, gives $500 million to Ford as an incentive to bring them there, then partners with uh, Ford, who is investing $6 billion, uh, SK Innovation, who is the microchip and the battery maker from South Korea that is also partnering with Ford, are putting another $5 billion into it. All of a sudden now, the city is in financial trouble. So you have this connector city, two hours from here, 12, 12 uh, miles from Stanton, 47 miles from Memphis, but now you have a chance for black political empowerment to raise its head in West Tennessee again. And Senator Cohen and, and the people who are representing uh, the state of Memphis, or the city of Memphis, connecting to Nashville, now they pull Jim Cooper out of the mix by splitting his district into three rec- uh, Republican districts so that numerically you cannot win. This is where it comes down to what Ira Fleischer said years ago, that we've all adopted without understanding the reason behind it. All politics is local. When we hear that, we say that. 
but we don't see the connection of the dot because when it happens at this level, it becomes gerrymandering at the state level. The state begins to put policy in that reflects the national politic of the Republican Party. So we also are talking about what we should really be calling it, and it is a state of white minority rule. That is what is being moved, we are moving toward as a society. So we have to be in a place where we can participate in this democracy. And one thing that I suggest to people, I, I had some young white liberals come and they, they said, well, Rev, Rev Jeff, well, how can we help? I, we really want to help. And I said, move out of the inner city. And they said, oh, what? But I like, I like my neighborhood, it's diverse. I mean, it's really it's a really elderly black woman at the end of the street, and you know, next door there's this hipster couple. And I said, you're part of the issue, because the urban areas now that are rife with gentrification, they are stacking people, stacking people into the urban areas, and meanwhile, Governor Lee and DeSantis, all of them are saying what? We need to make sure that we get broadband to our rural areas. We want to make sure we have infrastructure in our rural areas. They don't care if you put 150,000 people in 37208. They got, the, they got less power than West Tennessee, East Tennessee, or Johnson City. How do you have a city like Nashville with a large minority population, a city like Memphis, the two out of the three major cities, Nashville, Middle, Memphis, West, Knoxville, East, how do you have it that this was supposed to be two-thirds blue, and yet we're an overwhelmingly red state? This is politicking. This is strategizing. This is boilerplate legislating. And the Democrat Party is going to have to step up now and figure out a way to strategize for where we're going to be in 20 years. And it connects to something that we said on the show. Roland, you've said it on this show before about voting. Notice what you said in Wisconsin. You didn't say the state legislature affirmed. You didn't say the president of the United States affirmed. You said a judge affirmed, right? So this is about also who gets to select the judges yeah. so that you can do something crazy like re, redistrict things in Nashville and the state of Tennessee, break up into three congressional districts, and then you send it to the judge. Well, who put the judge in place? If it was Governor Lee, if it was Trump, then you don't care. How, you don't know how crazy the plan is. It's going to get affirmed, and you're going to be disenfranchised. That's why voting as a part of the strategy is important, and that's why we have to step up now and start living on a whole new level of strategizing for the future. It's census time. Uh, and again, it's what, what I will keep saying is connect the dots. Yes. Connect the dots. Sorry, right, folks. Gotta go to the break. We come back. We're gonna talk about fibroids uh, in the black community. Huge issue facing a lot of sisters. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Plus, we're gonna talk about uh, what's happening here at Fisk University uh, with leaders in terms of what is next. We have seen across the country uh, a resurgence, if you will, of uh, folks uh, giving and donating. We've seen uh, endowments go up. Um, we're also seeing a lot of leadership changes at HBCUs. And so we'll talk about what's happening here at Fisk. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you'll learn how wealth begins at home and how it can set the right path and the right course. Wealth building, specifically in the Black community, is about making sure that we have assets that can last beyond our lifetime. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. When did you know that this is what I wanted. I think right after high school, because in high school I was in all the plays, but I was always funny. Mm. But I didn't know nobody would pay me for it, you know? And then I saw Eddie Murphy. This was like 84 when I saw Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was the hottest thing in the whole wide world. Not just comedy, 
But anyway, he saved Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't started that, that show would be gone. He uh, he had done 48 hours, trading places. His first Beverly Hills cop could wear the hell out of a red leather suit. And he wasn't but 23 years old. He was rich enough to pee cream. And he got all that telling jokes. I said, shit, I've been funny my whole life. I didn't know people give you money like that. So mm -hmm. I went and got some Red Fox albums. I went down to my mama's basement where I was living anyway. And I stood in that mirror and played them albums and them jokes until I could tell them like they were mad. Wow. And that started me doing jokes. And then I went and did comedy in the street. I was standing on State Street, tell jokes and pass my hat. And white folks would come up and just hand me money. And I liked it. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to actually get to fit live. We're in our next segment. Uh, but right now, I want to talk about uh, being here on the campus of Fish University here in Jubilee Hall. Um, COVID, of course, has greatly impacted HBCUs all across the country. Uh, folks are now, uh, in many campuses, getting back to having students back on campus. Uh, as not, only, not only the impact in terms of classrooms, I've talked a lot about uh, the amount of money that has actually come from the federal government over the last uh, couple of years uh, from nine different uh, pools uh, of funding that has greatly impacted the circle of colleges and universities, but also what has happened to HBC using the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, uh, the kind of uh, investment that's also taking place on various campuses. And so let's uh, talk about what's happening uh, here at Fisk uh, with three representatives. The city start from the far left, from my far right. Uh, tell everybody who you are. I'm, microphone. Use the microphone. I'm Arnold Berger, and I'm interim uh, provost and vice president for uh, academic affairs. Latanya Rogers, associate professor of English here at Fisk and director of the honors program. Uh, good evening, uh, Brandon Owens, assistant vice president for academic affairs and dean of the library. All right, glad to have you here. So, so uh, what is the status of Fisk now in terms of what is your enrollment like? How have you been impacted in the last couple of years with COVID? Uh, and are you seeing the same resurgence or the interest in Fisk that, we're, that we are seeing at other HBCUs across the country? Well, I will say, um, as far as our current enrollment, we're actually trending upwards uh, since COVID. Um, which is actually a blessing in spite of everything that's been going on. Uh, we have benefited from the funds. I know personally with me and the, as Dean of the Library, uh, the CARES Act provided a lot of money for us to provide digital resources to our students. And that was a big area that we wanted to focus on, um, making sure that the students still had the same level of access online uh, that they previously had on campus. Um, with the resurgence, we haven't really seen that number yet here in Nashville. We are intending to have a uh, face-to-face uh, graduation. Uh, we did have a return to mask indoors and outdoors um, this, pre this past week. But uh, as far as our numbers, we are still looking good, and we're projected to close out this semester uh, fairly good. Now, when you said an increase in enrollment, is that, have, you seen, have you seen an increase in online enrollment? Is that where the increase is coming from? Uh, a combination of creating new programs. Uh, we have a satellite campus that's in Clarksville now um, that's focused on working with veterans um, f because of that location being close to Fort Campbell. Um, so we're in 
and launching new social justice programs, as well as uh, academic programs that are gonna generate more interest in student enrollment. Um, the focus is continuing to do face-to-face, -face, um, but our enrollment increase has been uh, due to, I would say, the climate as far as historically black colleges and universities and the interest in those, again, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's the new, new Negro movement to me, um, and I think it's a blessing. Um, I saw labor the third reconstruction in that in, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, the, the, the focus on social justice, the amount of money that has been committed, not only from uh, foundations, but also from, co from corporate America as well. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I can tell you, you go to a lot of these places and, and, and all they're saying is HBCU, HBCU, HBCU. Uh, but what I've been challenging HBCUs on is making sure they're not getting pimped in that process. That if folks want to sit in and talk about HBCUs, that they're actually poning up the resources. Uh, you're also building your first, President Newkirk said, what, your first uh, academic building since 1960 that's being built? building uh, that uh, uh, started uh, more than a year and a half ago pretty soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play have it, uh, uh, ribbon cutting <laughs> ceremony and uh, it's uh, primarily will be used uh, for uh, uh, development of career development or our students to have a place where they can interact with the um, uh, um, job uh, uh, fair um, people who come on campus to recruit our students uh, well, that obviously uh, says a lot if it, the fir your first new building, your first academic building since, uh, as he put it, since Eisenhower was president. I mean, that, and, and again, that's what a lot of HBCs are dealing with, older buildings, um, trying to make that level of reinvestment uh, to be able to compete with a new generation of students. Yes, yeah, so at the time, 60 years ago, uh, FISC enrollment was a peak around 14, even 1,600 students. And then we experienced a huge drop over the years. And only in the past four or five years, we're back to the slope onward. And that went hand in hand with, with very good uh, fundraising, even before the uh, Black Lives Matters movement, uh, we experienced like a threefold increase in fundraising in the past years. Uh, and uh, it's very steady and continuous, and as you said, private donations are up, uh, in particularly t uh, aimed at supporting uh, stipends uh, for, for students and fellowships, and both at undergrad and the graduate level. But you know, look, the university was dealing with a financial issue, Doc. You came from Howard, uh, you also coming here, and that was a major issue. And that is when you talk about um, that those negative headlines, those negative headlines chase people away. They do, but in the in the aftermath of George Floyd, I think people are more interested in what you're now calling the new new Negro movement. I've been teaching a course this semester called the Harlem Renaissance, and we've been talking about how students are beginning to look back toward culture, back toward race. Fisk University has always been the center of cultural, racial, social justice matters in this city. And I think now with new presidency, new laws, new interest, Fisk University is re-emerging as a center of social justice in this city. And we've just named a John R. Lewis Center on campus. He is an undergraduate, was an undergraduate student here at Fisk. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois was an undergraduate student here at Fisk. And so Fisk has always been at the center. And I think the interest is returning to the HBCUs in the aftermath of George Floyd. You're located, obviously, Meharry is right across the street. Uh, talk about uh, the focus uh, on science. Uh, and how critically important how critically important that is uh, to building and developing uh, uh, your next generation of students taking advantage of the proximity to uh, Meharry. Uh, yes, we do have a bridge program with Meharry uh, that gets our students to a doctor uh, level within five years. 
Um, I think that's a great benefit. And we've always partnered with Meharry since it moved here in 1930. Uh, a lot of people don't know, um, but Meharry's library was actually on the campus of Fisk University uh, for more than 30-something years, where the students walked over and accessed Cravath. They had their own branch. Um, but as far as the connections with science, it goes um, far beyond just medicine. And uh, Dr. Berger can focus on a lot of the uh, Science Foundation funding that we get. But as well, we have a lot of funding that's coming through partnerships. Uh, right now, I'm teaching a class with a uh, partnership through HTC, T-Mobile, as well as a company called Victory XR, where we're taking students into the metaverse um, and using the metaverse to instruct students. And I'm using that platform to show them how they can use their history background, as well as the technology and the HTC and the uh, metaverse and VR virtual reality and 3D scanning to teach history to the world online um, because it gives people an opportunity to leave their space, leave their home, go anywhere in the world and you can talk them through the space, have them experience that space um, and I think what we're trying to do is create a cutting edge environment for African American students to be able to to be able to compete in the future, in the near future, especially in technology, as well as uh, medicine and physics. How are you also dealing with, um, and look, we've seen this, uh, Morehouse's campuses, we've seen it at, we've seen it at Howard, students, students are protesting living conditions, they're protesting uh, food, cafeterias, things on those lines. And so how are you also ensuring uh, that you have a strong uh, quality control when it comes to dorms, when it comes to food, because you got students that are paying a hell of a lot of money uh, to come here, and those are two big issues for students. Yes, and I think this goes hand in hand with the enrollment. When finances are up and when donations are up, you're able, we survey the students every year to know exactly what are our weaknesses and address them. But it also, you also need to have the funds to, to address those, and now we are able more than in the past to address all those uh, deficiencies. I think it also goes back to what you all were talking about earlier with transparency. Um, we do, fo we have been focusing a lot more on having town home, town hall conversations uh, where the president and as well as uh, student affairs and administrators sit down and talk to the students about their concerns and what's going on um, and, and rising the level of expectations, especially when it comes to our facilities. Um, that's always been an issue, especially I've seen um, at HBCUs across the nation. Um, but I think the focus is listening to the students and being um, specific about addressing those concerns in a timely fashion. Um, one of the issues that um, that was has long been been up been up for discussion here, uh, the the massive art collection uh, that, that you have here. Um, how what are Fist's plans for that? Traveling road shows. How are you taking advantage of that? Uh, I mean, obviously you have. Uh, historic pieces of art, this one, of course, uh, that sits behind us as well. And so, so, so how are you looking to, uh, to share this story with more folks and use it as a recruiting tool for fundraising for students uh, across the country, across the world? I don't understand. So, um, first, the, the art gallery is uh, by now uh, known nationally, and uh, we, we have uh, made a sharing agreement with the Crystal Bridges Museum in uh, Benton, Arkansas. That's a new startup museum that uh, we're sharing. So every three years the collection goes 
for three years at Fisk and for three years in Arkansas. This way, every cycle of students gets to sit at minimum one year and as much as three years. And our director of art gallery is very active in the community. He is connected with all the other museums and art galleries in town, serves on their boards, and he's very plugged in and making sure that we are uh, one large art community in Nashville, and uh, we serve them as well as they come here to support us. It's also um, tied to the curriculum. Um, and uh, speaking of the art gallery director, I uh, just recently had a conservation program. So we're tying it to the sciences as well with the students, getting the students involved with conserving the paintings and looking at the scientific background of maintaining that piece of artwork um, of over the centuries as well as dealing with things like light and storage. Um, so, And then also tying that to digitization, getting digital exhibits and collections online and available for the world to see what we have here because it is, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's a gold mine as far as the wealth of not only artwork um, but historical books as well as artifacts that are here and in our possession. And I, I wish I, I missed uh, your conversation earlier um, because I think that's a big issue right now as far as us being gatekeepers or controlling our culture. Um, one of the big things that I've been really resistant on um, is this whole Giddy Image um, grant that they're talking about focusing on getting HBCU photographs. <laughs> um, and I've been really, a lot of people when it came out, they started sending me messages, why don't we do it, why don't we do it? It'll get all our stuff online. Um, but I, and like I told them, I said, look at this deal that they're offering us. They're talking about, okay, they're going to take all our photographs, they're going to digitize them for us, but then at the end of the day, we're only going to get 50% of the profits. They're going to say they're going to invest 30% back into the project, and 30%, 20% is going to go to funding the whole grant. So why can't we create our own platform? and put our own pictures out there and sell them and license them ourselves instead of giving them the Getty images. I thought I was appalled at the fact of when you had the riot on, on the Capitol, in less than two hours you had Getty image on the pictures of the mm -hmm. people riding. So obviously there's a government contract where they have the security images or the footage before it's even produced, they own it. Um, no, no, they, no, what they had is they had their photographers that were there. Uh, and so what happens is, uh, yeah, the, you talk about, the, look, what has happened, the explosion on the internet has caused archival photos mm -hmm. uh, to be, as you said earlier, a goldmine because they're now using commercials, they're using other projects, and what actually would end up happening was you had a bunch, you had um, a number of, in every city that was a, there was always this one black photographer who shot everything. Yeah. And what happened was the families had no understanding of the value, was sitting in boxes, and so Getty and others were literally traveling around the country, snapping up photo archives for pennies on the dollar, mm -hmm. and then, uh, you're talking about when Dr. King, when others would come to cities, they were literally staying in homes, so they had, they had these amazing photos, mm -hmm. and so now, if you want to buy one of those photos, you're spending three, four, five hundred dollars for one photo, and so photo archives have become hugely valuable, and look, I ran the Chicago Defender. 
uh, and the Chicago Defenders archives mm -hmm. uh, are in the, in terms of the, the folks who, um, who are requesting historical researchers, it's like in the top three or four, top, top three to five uh, when it comes to African-American history. Uh, they also are not, to, we're not properly monetizing it. And so that's what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about how we are literally giving Give our culture away, away and we're taking small dollars right now mm -hmm. and other folks are making millions and billions Passive and then we're over. wondering why our institutions are broke. So that's, that absolutely is uh, a, a part of this piece. There's a, a, a group called Obsidian out of Chicago where there actually is, a, is an archival project mm -hmm. uh, that serves that particular purpose to maintain uh, it, you know, it is a gold mine, and these large companies are just, again, uh, pe people are jumping at the small amount of dollars but not understanding uh, the bigger, as, as Master P said, when, they, when Jimmy Irvine offered him uh, a million, he said, wait a minute, this guy's offering me a million, what am I actually worth? Mm -hmm. And he turned him down, and his brother C. Murdo was like, dude, what's wrong with you? He said, if that man's offering me a million, I could be worth 10, 15, 20, so why am I going to take the million? Exactly. And that's why he turned it out. And so that's, that's part of the thing that, that we're also dealing with in all of our institutions. Go ahead. That's so interesting because what you're talking about is controlling our narratives. Exactly. And I think, you know, in HBCUs may not have the best dormitories. However, I think our students are really coming to HBCUs more so now than ever because they're interested in being purveyors of their own culture. They're interested in learning how to share that, how to become the narrators of their own stories. And so it's really interesting to hear you all talk about capturing that narrative, being able to tell that story, and then being able to monetize that story rather than allow someone else to come in and monetize that story. And I think that is one of the benefits and beauties of an HBCU, is that those of us who choose to work at institutions such as these really are interested in maintaining the culture and really are interested in teaching our students how to do the same. And so uh, more so than ever, I think our students feel the love from us when they come to our HBCUs. They are learning about themselves, they're growing, and eventually this world will be theirs to manage. And so those of us who are here, we're doing our best to give them the tools and the skills they need to be able to be cultural purveyors. Well, that's why what I have said is, I've said this uh, a few weeks ago with my commentaries, uh, that um, HBCU should be examining every single contract, every media contract, every rights deal, uh, and fully understanding it uh, that's coming from any from any one any of the conferences. And if you have HBCU presidents and board members who have no idea what the hell they're talking about and no expertise in that area, then go. There are African Americans who are experts in these areas who are experts at TV rights deals, who are experts at licensing deals, whether it's art, whether it's photographs, whether it's video, all of those things, and they should be tapping into that knowledge uh, because I can tell you, as somebody who has sat down with many HBCU presidents, many, many boards of trustees, you have people who, who are sitting on these boards who do not have expertise in these areas and not realizing they're leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars on the table because they don't know because they're getting played people who know they don't know. And so that's also just one of the things that I think is important. So uh, glad to hear uh, how, how things are going. Uh, sorry Dr. Newkirk couldn't be with us, uh, but we'll definitely uh, get him on again. And so good luck with what you're doing here. Thank, Thank you. Very much. All right, folks, uh, when we come back, we're going to chat uh, Fit Live We and Fibroids uh, and African-American women next on Roland Martin Unfiltered of the Black Star Network. Folks, Black Star Network is here. Oh, no
I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, Black, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, there's a difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play
All right, folks, 90% of black women will be diagnosed with fibroids by the age of 50. They're usually benign muscular tumors that grow in the uterus wall. It can be a single tumor or there can be many. They can be as small as an apple seed or as big as a grapefruit. My next guest experiences her own experiences with fibroids led her to create the White Dress Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing awareness and supporting women suffering from fibroids. Tanika Gray Valbrun joins me from Atlanta. Tanika, uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, and so uh, we've had this conversation many times before, and I know many sisters uh, in my family and others who've had surgeries for fibroids, uh, very painful, uh, and, and mm -hmm. still part of the issue is what causes fibroids and why do they have such a, uh, an impact in black women? Well, thank you so much, Roland, for having me. It's so great to be talking to you. And thank you for um, just wanting to bring more attention to this issue. Um, as you said, yes, 90% of Black women will suffer with some type of uterine fibroid by the time they are 50. And to your question, what causes them, you know, we really don't know. There are a host of theories out there, like vitamin D deficiency, um, estrogen dominance, which means that there's an increase of estrogen in your body that is um, causing these tumors to form. But really, that's why a part of why I started my organization to ensure that we get to the bottom of this question, which is what causes fibroids and why are Black women disproportionately impacted with them? So what is the White Dress Project? Exactly what is it? So the White Dress Project is an organization that we're a nonprofit that I founded um, based on my own personal story. It was so interesting to hear the last segment um, when the Fisk executives leaders talked about owning your own narrative. And that's what I wanted to do. I really wanted to get support um, for suffering with this condition. I felt that this was an issue below the belt that nobody talked about. But when I got with my girlfriends, my cousins, my family members, everybody was like, yeah, girl, everybody has fibroids. And I just didn't understand why we weren't talking about it on a national level, um, why there wasn't legislation policy around it when you know, quote unquote, so many people are suffering. So I wanted to do something about it. So we are a nonprofit. We um, support people who are managing life with fibroids. We engage in policy and advocacy. We have events across the country, um, really allowing people to know that they do not have to suffer in silence with this. They can share their story. Their story is important. Um, and, and really, that, that's what we do. We, we curate events all across the country to ensure that people understand that they do not have to suffer with this alone. And, you know, to, to the earlier point of, of controlling your narrative, if we don't begin to share how much this is impacting our lives, um, then nobody will know. Um, one of the things that we're most proud of is that we've been a part of the um, legislation that is currently in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. It was introduced um, by our vice president, um, Kamala Harris, and also um, by... Uh, can you guys hear me? Oh, I lost you guys. Okay, there you are. Yeah, um, we got you. No, we got okay, you. Okay, awesome, awesome. You know, I'm at my mom's house in Florida, so you know this internet. Um, but anyway, no, 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 we're good. Our vice president, um, also on the Senate side, introduced by uh, Cory Booker and uh, Senator Capito 
and also on the House side, Yvette Clark. So this Stephanie Tubbs-Jones Uterine Fibroid Research and Education Act is our hope that we will um, get this passed, um, get funding behind this, really to answer some of those questions that you have about cause, et cetera. All right. How can people get more information uh, about your project? How can people get involved? Yes, I think I heard that question. Yeah, if folks want to get more information, where do they go learn more, more about your project if they want to get involved? Yes, we are the whitedressproject.org. Um, <clears throat> you can also follow us on Instagram at We Can Wear White. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. So just search for the White Dress Project and you can find us. All right, Tanika, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. We're talking about panel here. I mean, this is, I mean, this is a perfect example of one of the things we talked about, uh, research, uh, how often we are not participants in, in studies, things along those lines. Uh, and this issue of fibroids is, is a major one. You're talking about 90% of black women by the age of 50. Uh, there should be a hell of a lot more research being done on the issue of fibroids because of their impact on black women. Yeah, I, I was looking uh, during the break at University of Michigan, and they've, they've done research around uh, why there is no research <laughs> for the black women. There are research lots of, while uh, there is right. no research. <laughs> There's quite a that, bit of that, research. That's a short project. That's a short project, right? There's a lot of research around Hispanic uh, women who have fibroids. Um, there, and the, the unfortunate part about having fibroids is that there is no, there are indicators, but there's no real research that, of course, shows what, it, what it's linked to. I often tell people to look back, though, at birth control, because we have the tenure in our community of uh, fibroids at a very young age, and we know that at a very young age, black young girls are put on birth control. And so that's a place where we should really take uh, a look. Of course, the last guest that you had gave other way places in which we should take a look, vitamin D and uh, health and being outside, exercise and so forth. But I would say there's a real reason why a great majority of us end up having hysterectomies yeah. as it relates to this. So this is not just about having fibroids. I remember having my son and the doctors when I had a cesarean, he said, oh, I see some fibroids in there. Maybe, maybe you get them taken care of when you, you know, if they start hurting. Um, and so at some point, I may have to have some type of uh, surgery to get rid of those or un the unfortunate uh, occasion of having a hysterectomy. We should follow, as you said, follow the money, follow the uh, footprints. We should follow the footprints of that. Why, is, uh, why are there so many women who have fibroids that lead to hysterectomies? What is that about? What are we trying to do there? Is that, is that controlling our community? I don't, I'm not a conspiracist at all, but there's just something to look at there. And again, we don't have the research to even begin to look at, to look at it. Uh, so I'd love to see that happen at some point. Absolutely. Jeff? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, if fibroids, it's a difficult issue. And I've heard lots of conversations around the, the subject. Uh, I had tons of conversations around this with my female uh, parishioners. I've had tons of conversations, intimate conversations with this uh, about this subject with my wife. Uh, and as a man, I can't imagine what I would have to go through if I had to deal with a complicated issue like fibroids. Not being able to trace the source of it, but to know that it affects so many of us and so many of our women. Uh, my wife and I made the decision, and she made the decision, actually, when, when, a, when a woman makes a decision about our body, our man's job is to not say we, but to just back it up. That's right. That's right. And we say, yes, dear, yes, dear, that's what we do. 
but to not go on traditional birth control because we were seeing that. We were, going, we were seeing at public health clinics uh, when we were on uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act and, and as an independent ministry having to use that, a lot of the public health spaces encourage, especially young black women, to go on birth control, to get new shots, to get, uh, to get birth control that's going to last for five years. And we do not know what are, what's in these products. So when she decided to say we're not going to do that, obviously she decided not to. We got five kids. So uh, she decided for her health, luckily she's not had that issue at this moment. And, pre and preventative help, uh, health is important too. So it's a shout out to Sister Tanika, to the uh, White Dress Project and what they're doing to bring about the awareness as Sister Kia said. It's also about getting the research. It's about getting us participating in research and kind of piggybacking on what we heard in the previous conversation with our HBCU leaders. It's about us leading the research, right? We have to put ourselves in a scientific space where black women, black men are studying this, this phenomenon and actually mm -hmm. finding ways to cure ourselves. And that's something that's very important. It's an opportunity that's on the landscape there. And, and it, nobody, I don't, I don't think we know anybody who does not so, know somebody who has been infected, affected, or affected by fibroids in their family. And, and I've got three daughters, so these are, these are the thoughts that I have uh, going forward, how do we navigate preventative health measures for them to try to make the road a little bit easier? Full circle, just just bringing this back full circle to we start the conversation about Cancer Row or Cancer Cancer Alley, and not being able to have so pr the preventative part of this mm -hmm. is being able to be into the soil, right? Mm -hmm. Is being able to be to be able to eat directly from the land, but so much of our land has been uh, affected, as you just mentioned. So I wanted to just bring that full circle moment back. Well, and in addition to that, Roland, um, many times Black women have said over the years that they the physicians that they were seeing were not treating them right as black women, particularly if it was white males. Uh, they weren't asking them the type of questions that would lead them to reveal this. They didn't feel comfortable. We felt inferior. So and here we sit right across the street from a Harry Medical College where there is an abundant, I hope, supply of women who are studying to be researchers over there as well as their services that they offer there for women. But we, we need to speak up about that and be more proactive about that ourselves. We can speak up a lot about outfits and shoes and pocketbooks, but when it comes to our health, we're quiet. Mm -hmm. We're not asking any questions. We're not saying anything. And we, we just fall into fear. And that is something that we can do. If we have the strength to stand out and do some of the things that we do in the communities and er other things that we do with our children and our lives, we should at least stand up for our own health and say, I'm having this problem. I need help. And Kia, I had a hysterectomy 27, eight years ago. There is life after history. Oh, absolutely. I disagree with that. I'm sure that there is. What, oh, yes. what, <laughs> what I will also say it, to your point is that um, many times when black women go in, we, we know this based on um, lots of research that uh, this is normalized, like the pain that we have is normal. So we go in and say, we're bleeding extra days. We go in and say, I have an abdominal issue. 
And so that has been um, that has been normalized. And also because of systemic racism in our health uh, community, health departments, uh, in our physicians, we also then what happens is. Um, they don't take us seriously. So there's a syst uh, systemic part to this. I think I've tried to echo that as much as possible. There's a systemic part of this is really that it, sometimes we do uh, advocate for ourselves, but we sit in the waiting room for a long time or the emergency room bleeding out. Uh, and we've seen that happen in a, a great amount of cases. No. Serena Williams is an example of you that. You have to find you another physician. And oh, be, I don't and disagree. And be proactive. And, that, and speaking up and asking questions. When I go to the doctor, and I, I go to a female doctor, I worry her to death because I want to live. And no one else is going to come in there and ask her questions for me. So I have to do it myself. And I had to learn how to do that and not be intimidated or, or afraid mm -hmm. of them. Uh, that's why I wanted to have a woman physician because the men just could, didn't get it. They just did not get it. So <clears throat> for me, that has worked. And I have gotten her to the point where she doesn't freak out if I ask her a lot of questions. She just answers them because I am determined to be proactive for my own health. Sake. I agree. I absolutely agree. All right, folks, that is it for us. First of all, uh, YouTube. Seriously, uh, we now have 1,000 likes on YouTube. What are y'all doing? Y'all falling asleep. I don't understand what the problem is. Uh, so between now and I close out, uh, y'all should uh, hit that like button uh, so we can hit 1,000 likes. Um, we are here on the campus of Fisk University, folks, in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, earlier I talked with students. We talk, I talked to them about, being, again, being caretakers of the culture. And one of the things y'all have heard me talk about a lot, and that is we can't talk about the value of our institutions if we don't support our institutions. You heard me talk, say earlier uh, what we're dealing with in terms of where we got people who are HBCU graduates and they're wearing their shirts and they're talking about how they're proud graduates of Howard and Fisk and Meharry and Hampton and North Carolina A&T and person. Tennessee State, Texas Southern University, uh, Stillman and Lane. But you need to be asking them, are you sending a check back? Uh, because it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing to say the national average of giving at HBCUs is 5%. Claflin University is the largest. They exceed 50% of their alumni giving back to the institution. Spelman has a high number as well. But the reality is, uh, it is those dollars that come from African Americans uh, that is going to make sure that uh, we survive. Uh, Henry, go to a wide shot. So folks, th this piece that you're seeing behind me, um, uh, one of you can explain it better than me. Go right ahead. And, but, but I need people to understand that this is not necessarily a piece of artwork, uh, that it was the voices of uh, the Fisk Jubilee Singers that played a role in keeping the institution alive, fighting against white racists who wanted to shut it down. We cannot sit here today and so-called be the smartest generation and have more money and all these different things and so technology in the advance, and we don't actually ensure that our institutions uh, are surviving. They should not be surviving. They should be thriving. They should not be surviving based upon the donations of billionaire Mackenzie Scott, the former wife of Jeff Bezos. The reality is we should be giving back. Unfortunately, folks aren't. So when you see somebody talking about going home to homecoming, ask them how much money they're going to spend on airfare, hotel room, food, alcohol, and buying of, uh, of swag, and are they going to give even 10% of that 
to the university. But just talk, just talk about, uh, for people who have no idea about this painting and what this art piece uh, means to this institution. The Fist Jubilee Singers are celebrating 150 years as an institution that represents spirituals and Negro music in the United States. And this painting was sent over by the Queen of England. And many of people come from around the United States to take photos of it, to examine it, <clears throat> because it had to be shipped here, because it's, it's pretty substantial in size. But it does represent, it's a true representation of what the original singers looked like. And they had to travel to uh, keep the school open. And the students were the ones who were the, I would say, the gatekeepers. Because they and when you say travel to keep it open, they were fighting against people who were trying to who were yes. trying to close it. So they were raising money. Yes, and singing that along the way, yeah. singing their way to keep the school open. Yeah. Now that is not a story that needs America needs to understand. And and uh, and additionally, that I think people in the music industry need to understand it as well, and particularly our uh, African American singers that don't understand the sacrifice that they made, so that our music could move forward into uh, America's mainstream. Because now, for that reason, that 150 years ago, we weren't singing R&B. We weren't singing hip-hop. You know, we weren't singing a lot of the genres that we sing today. But these Negro spirituals that the uh, Jubilee Singers sang helped uh, educate a community and helped lift up a community mm -hmm. and has kept the name of Fisk University strong now for many years and it's because of their sacrifice. It was a student sacrifice. It wasn't alumni because it weren't but a handful. Mm -hmm. It was the student sacrifice that made this place really what it is. Uh, and it's interesting because I actually got that someone who's trying to do a movie on uh, the Fisk Jubilee Singers and this whole story and they're mm. trying to do a crowdfunding effort. Uh, I actually got an email on that uh, last week. Uh, so I thought that was real interesting. Uh, uh, Jeff, also explain to folks, we're here in Nashville, uh, and Nashville's moniker is Music City. Yes. They did, Ma Nashville did not get that name because of country music. Oh, no, absolutely not. And, and it's important that you said it, because as Sharon said, the sacrifice of young black, of young people, of students. You think about kids who are 18, 19 years old, some of them a little younger than that, who said, we love this school so much that we're willing to build it out as an institution, sacrifice going to classes, follow Ella Shepard more around the world, traveling, singing these songs that came out of the fields that became the foundation for American music, and then taking the funds and putting them literally into the buildings on this campus. When they sang in front of Queen Victoria in the 1800s, when Edward Havel, who was her personal painter, made this painting behind us and shipped it over here. When, this, when that money came in, from the moment that, that those singers there who were depicted behind us, when they performed in the court in, in front of Queen Victoria, the newspapers in England said, this must be a music city. So Music City got the name, not from country music, although country music got its influences from those same field hollers. We could talk about that forever. But that's how Nashville got its name. It became known as Music City USA. The building that we're in now, Jubilee Hall, 
which was built between, I think, 1873 and 1876, was a collective effort of black excellence. These students went, they sang, they collected money, they brought them to this campus, and they built the first educational building for the education of blacks, and that's why Jubilee's Hall, Jubilee Hall's other name is literally Frozen Music. That's what they call it, because it commemorates the sacrifice that those students made. So when you understand that connection here, uh, when you understand the power in institutional building, when you understand that you're standing on the shoulders of those who came before you, you can't help but to feel it when you walk inside this building. Mm -hmm. You walk inside those stairs there. And, and I say I went to Tennessee State, so this is my Tennessee State blue. But I also say I'm, I'm the wisest man on the campus here at this because I went to Tennessee State. And, they say, <laughs> and people get angry, they get mad. And I say, but I'm wisest because I married a fist guy. So sons and daughters ever on the altar, the, the, the right, we, we can sing all the mater, right? I, I know the, all the lyrics, and she knows the ones at Tennessee State, too. But when you walk in that building, you can feel the energy there. And when you see that grand staircase that when I was in school down the street at Tennessee State, you couldn't get on the staircase. You come near that staircase, they say, back up, back up, back up. I'm talking about an 18-year-old, stop, stop. I'm like, what? You cannot touch those stairs unless you have graduated from Fisk for 50 years. You have to be alive and have been alive for 50 years after graduating before you can even stand on the stairs in the lobby. Why? Because those timbers for those stairs were shipped here as a contribution when the hall was filled, first built. Those timbers were sent here by an alumni in the 1800s who sent them here from Sierra Leone in West Africa. So that energy is in this building. And that energy with an E creates an energy and that understanding that you are connected to everything that came before. So it's, it's insane when people say, one of our stories we got rolling that you sent us was about the cat talking about uh, the CMT awards ain't Wakanda. Right. You know, he's like, oh, the CMT awards ain't Wakanda. And they, they don't conservative rights. And he cat. upset all the black people who he's, were presenters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me, yeah. He was upset because black people are participating in country music. Well, baby, you, you have, like, you've heard my brother say this because my mom and daddy said it to us growing up all the time. They said, hey, boy, when you open your mouth, you put your brains on display. And that's exactly what that talk show host did. It means he doesn't understand how Country Music City got its name, Music City. Right. He doesn't understand uh, Linda Martell, 1941, uh, who sang at the Grand Ole Opry and set the standard for country music by putting her energy in. He doesn't understand the harmonica wizard, this little bitty guy who they called an imp, who was named D. Ford Bailey, who played the harmonica, who played the guitar, who played the banjo, and was the first star of the Grand Ole Opry. He didn't know anything about Charlie Pride, kissing an angel, good morning, let her know you think about her when you're gone. I heard it growing up. Yes, it's been black for the whole time. You just didn't know it. But everything that came out of America came out of those fields. Of course. And as a result, it's all black music. So when we see the resurgence, exactly. So they want to, oh, wait a minute. Are you talking about history or well, there you go. CRT? YouTube, YouTube, hurry up. Y'all got y'all got to hit 77 before we get to 1,000. Hit those like buttons. Kid what, closes out. Well, the last piece I was going to say is, let's just call this what this is, is black philanthropy. Yes. And, you know, it's really important to me that we use the word philanthropy when we talk about black people because very often we are seen as charity cases. And as, as just was so uh, eloquently sp uh, spoken by both my co-panelists, 
that this is these students became philanthropists and made sure the world knew that. And so many of us are because we give our time, our talent, our treasure, our truth, and our testimony, which we've been showing on display today. And so it's always important for me to make sure I pull that out. Uh, of course, people can go to blackgivingback.com to make sure locally that they can give to our Black Philanthropy Initiative. But it, and it supports FISC. It supports many of the initiatives we have here around the city to make sure that we're seen as not just recipients, but as narrators of our own change, as you were talking about earlier with the students. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to close oh. out with that. All right, folks, I appreciate it. It has been uh, uh, great uh, to be uh, scholar in residence here uh, at Fisk University. Uh, have uh, quite some time. Real quick, tell everybody who the uh, the, the uh, scholar in residence is named after, uh, so they know who that is. Who who's na named after? Reverend Mitchell. Oh, Dr. Reverend Mitchell. He was uh, the, histor the, the historian extraordinaire. He knew more about this university and this state of Tennessee than any other person. And he is sorely missed, and we loved him. And Dr. Uh, Reverend Mitchell, they're working on something special in the library to honor him. And everybody in Nashville and around the world who knew him loved him because he was a walking encyclopedia when it came to black history. All right, then. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, being uh, the first Reverend Mitchell Scholar in residence. Yes. Uh, folks, uh, it has been great. Uh, appreciate the time here. Uh, thank all of you for watching. Let's see, uh, YouTube, y'all stop messing around and y'all finally get to a thousand likes. I told y'all, uh, y'all have, y'all need to hurry up. Y'all being a little slow. Let me see if you hit a thousand. Uh, I'm, I'm checking. All right, come on, y'all, 26 away. Hurt y'all freeloaders, hurry up. Uh, folks, download the Black Star Network app, uh, every available platform, Android phone, Apple phone, Android TV, Apple TV, uh, Amazon Fire, uh, Roku, as well as uh, Xbox, Samsung TV as well. And, of course, support uh, us, uh, Brina Funk Fan Club. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do all across the country. I am here today, back to D.C. tomorrow in studio. I'll be uh, Thursday. I'll be from the campus of Clemson University speaking there. I will not be live. That's my wedding anniversary. So we have a guest, but I'll be Friday back in D.C. And then, of course, uh, travel Texas, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. Uh, and so we'll be on the road. Uh, and, of course, in May, we'll also be in uh, Kansas City with our town hall they are dealing with uh black police officers in their police department and then of course we're broadcasting from texas ahead of the runoff of primaries happening there so uh, of course uh check in money order to p.o box 57196 washington dc 20037 cash app is dallas sign rm unfiltered paypal is r martin unfiltered venmo is rm unfiltered zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com uh thank you very much to our panel here we haven't uh, had an in-person panel in quite some time i thought hey let's go ahead and do it uh, we're on the road so i certainly appreciate uh, all three of you uh being with us today uh and again thanking everyone here at fish university folks that is it for me uh, i'll see y'all right here tomorrow roller martin unfiltered on the black star network Hold! from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.